welcome back to the bridge podcast it's it's been a little since uh we've been on the podcast so i'm excited to be back it feels uh good and comfortable to be uh back behind the microphone uh today is well it's episode 101 we just had a uh, 100 uh so excited for that sam is with us today as well and uh sam's gonna say the quote and then i'm gonna introduce our guest and we'll go from there all right what's going on everyone good to be back our quote for the day <clears throat> fear does not prevent death it prevents life mm, say that one again sam fear does not prevent death it prevents life had to let that one sit in for uh for me for a second too but Today's guest is Andrew Stallings, and uh, he runs an athlete management management firm. And I don't want to get too much into what he does because I know he's doing a lot of things. So, Andrew, if you just want to introduce yourself uh, and tell us what you do, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate it, guys. Happy holidays to you. Um, a little bummed I couldn't be episode 100, but I guess you always have to take <laughs> the number one after the big milestone to be hopefully somewhat a little memorable. So I'll, I'll do my best here today. Uh, yeah. As you guys mentioned, I, I run an athlete management firm called Othello Group. Um, Othello rooted in two words, athletes, opportunities, smashed together to make one funky little run on word that most people can't pronounce. So it's good marketing out of the gate because we're always leading to explain it. Um, but I spent about 15 years in the sports and entertainment industry, um, you know, originally from Southeast Virginia and just somehow physically kept moving my way up the Northeast, which as a guy who loves the sport of hockey, which was a good decision. I met my wife and now have my newborn son. Everything's great being up here in Connecticut, but um, my mindset and mentality is always in warmer weather. So anytime I can get on the plane and have business meetings in California, Florida, Mexico, other exotic locations, I will always do that. Um, but as I mentioned, 15 years, uh, Sirius XM radio, uh, started off there as a producer and, uh, co-host on a number of different sports programming channels, uh, went over to Octagon, um, dipped my toes into the sponsorship space starting over there. Octagon's one of the biggest global sports sponsorship agencies in the world. Um, you know, if you know Wasserman, you know CAA, you probably know Octagon. Um, they're one of the heavy hitters up there. Uh, went over to the brand side a little bit, was doing work with uh, Anheuser-Busch and then also uh, Constellation Brands on the beer side for many years doing global sports sponsorship there. And then had my aha epiphany moment about four years ago where I was just like, man, you know, as much as I love working 19 hour days and making the same exact amount of money um, and listening to Gary V and my podcast earbuds every day talking about, you can always make more, you can always do this, you can always do that. I think I kind of had my early aha moment, which a lot of people are probably going through right now where they're going through this NFT craze and flipping stuff on eBay. It's like, you're always just like, ah, how do I make more money? How do I do more on my terms and stuff like that? So mine was always a little bit more about my terms, probably 25%, but 75%. How can I give back to an area that I care so much about, which is sports, professional athletes, and, and really empathetic marketing and relationship building. So for me, you know, I looked at, you know, the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, all amazing sports. I'm sure, you know, the three of us, you know, are fans of those sports to some degree, but I was looking at more rising sports properties um, that have hyper dedicated fan bases and maybe not the, the billions and billions of fans for the Super Bowl. But, you know, when you look at the UFC or you look at the WSL or NASCAR, you know, these different properties have hyper dedicated fans that will go above and beyond to go to the Daytona 500. They will go above and beyond to go to Vegas for the next McGregor fight. Like these people 
people and these fans are diehards. So I was like, man, you know, like the athletes in these sports, you know, unless you're Tony Hawk, Conor McGregor or Ronda Rousey, for example, you probably don't have top tier representation or I dare to imagine that it's very limited in what you can do. So I did a lot of discovery, uh, you know, took about six months and interviewed a whole bunch of athletes, talked to different agents, um, just seeing who was doing what, and really also just began to unpack what it meant to be a manager and an agent. You know, a lot of people in today's society are like, oh, agents, you have to be uh, a lawyer or you have to have these certifications or these backgrounds. And, you know, I'm not here to, you know, show or be proof that, no, that's not the case. You know, you can be whatever you want. You can, um, you know, micro hack the way into this industry. That's not the case at all. Um, but you do not have to have the structure and the, I guess the, the gatekeeping elements of what I thought you had to be, to be an agent or to be a manager, you have to be really good at your job and you have to really be good at negotiations. You have to know your way around the legal system to an extent or to degree. And luckily I had that experience, you know, when I was at Octagon and all these other places, I got to be a part of these multi-million dollar contracts and renewals with like the world surf league and Corona and FIFA and Budweiser. So while I wasn't leading them, I was able to have a seat at the table and understand that stuff. But I built a great community of people around me that was able to support me. And while I can go to market and be like the nucleus of like, hey, I am a fellow group. This is my team. This is my firm. I have finance people. I have procurement people. I have legal people. I have a whole team around me that it's almost like setting your fantasy lineup, right? Like we, you know, I'm sure we'll get into the topic of mentorship a little bit, but you know, I'm always about like, Hey, who is most valuable in my fantasy lineup this week, this month, this year. Um, and that's kind of how I go and do things in certain ways. When I look at business, when I look at my career, when I just look at my life as a husband or a father, I'm always trying to be like, okay, what are the tools and what are the people that can help benefit me both in this immediate short term, you know, whether it's a few weeks, few months, and then who are my heavy hitters that I need year round? So that's always been just the philosophy with our agency. And, you know, we manage about 25 pro athletes to date, um, work with about 115 different brands and properties on retainer, um, just different projects day in and day out. Um, we're certainly not trying to compete and be the biggest powerhouse global agency and sign the, the best of the best. We, we really are hyper dedicated on, you know, finding the right athletes that buy into us as much as we buy into them. And same with the brands, same with the partners. Like it's, it's very much a ongoing relationship that we're not looking for quick turn and burns. You know, we're not looking for, Hey, let's have you sponsor one NASCAR race and get the hell out of here. Like we, we really want to build these long-term relationships. So it's, um, it's a unique style. Um, it's a style that requires a lot of patience, um, which is something I don't have a lot of, but it's, uh, it's the long game and it's, you know, in this world of business, it's tough. It's really, really tough to do because we're so entrenched in this world of immediate return, immediate emotion, immediate impact that, having to play the long game and hear no, 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 maybe like you, once you get that, maybe you're like, Oh, okay. You know, that's my way in it, a lot of people. They just don't have the patience. Um, but I mean, this, the old saying goes is that, you know, if people are giving you the time and energy to tell, you no, they're, they're still interested. Like they're interested enough to tell, you no. it's when you don't hear anything that really just kind of 
it makes you think and you're like, yeah, I'm not even on the radar, not even a blip. So that's, uh, that's kind of my soapbox of where I'm at. Uh, and as I was telling you guys, before we hit record, you know, just welcoming a baby boy into the world six weeks ago. So, uh, this, this segment can be sponsored by Cardon men's skin cream for under my <laughs> eyes, because I am just completely sleep deprived and working off of coffee, uh, day in and day out. I love it, man. What a, I'm, I'm glad I didn't try to introduce you right there. What, uh, a lot of cool things that I definitely would have missed out on. Um, I'm curious, uh, before you took that jump to, to start like your own business and stuff, what like initial fears did you have? Like, did you have people who were like, no, stay where you're at? You know, you have the comfortable paycheck consistency and that. How did you get over that initial fear to, to do what you do today? Yeah. So the short answer is my hand was forced, um, which I'm thankful it was because I don't think I would have ever had the courage to make the jump by myself. Um, but as I left, I was with um, an experiential marketing agency called Mosaic, where I was doing a lot of projects for like Bud Light and Stella Artois and a lot of big global events. Uh, I'm sorry, a, bit, a lot of big US events um, for their field marketing activations. I, I went over to Constellation Brands, which is the company that owns Corona in the United States. And fun little fact for you, if you don't know that much about the beer industry, this might be, every time I explain this, people are kind of blown away. But Corona... If you take a look at Corona, the beer company and how it's marketed internationally, it's find your beach, exotic locations, like less quirky, you know, Tony Romo, Snoop Dogg, Bad Bunny. But in the US, it's just completely driven to the ground with humor, satire, and just bad comedy, right? Um, It's two completely separate brands because it's owned by two separate companies. So um, Constellation Brands, um, you know, is the holding company that owns Modelo and Corona in the United States only. So beyond that, um, Grupo Modelo, you know, obviously still has their marketing rights in, you know, Canada and Mexico and all these other areas. But Corona is owned by Anheuser-Busch InBev, uh, AB InBev um, globally. So Anytime that you like, if you have the opportunity even to go to Canada or to Mexico or something and you look at Corona, it's night and day. It's so different. So uh, going from Octagon, where I was working on Corona's global account for like World Surf League and all that, to now coming to Constellation Brand and being like, yeah, we need a Snoop Dogg uh, cutout at Stop and Shop and, you know, have something with Tony Romo where it's like, you know, just you're like, what? Like, it was so, so, so different. But anyways, went to Constellation Brands. Um, I was the field marketing manager. Uh, Again, amazing opportunity. I was a mile down the road from my office in Stanford, Connecticut. Got a company car, nice little plushy salary. I was running circles in in term at least how I felt. I was running circles in in my department. Like my my boss was great, uh, my team was great, but I was definitely probably overpaid. You know, I negotiated a pretty high salary and you know brought in um, a skill level and talent that probably I could have been a position or two higher. Um, so I was there three months. Went on my honeymoon, came back land on the tarmac at JFK, all my voicemails load because we were in Mexico. So all my voicemails load. Um, first voicemail, hey, Mr. Stallings, how you doing? This is so-and-so from, you know, Constellation Brands, letting you know we're here to call you about your severance package. You know, if you could give us a call back, well, I'm like, severance package? I was like, that's not good. That's usually when you get fired and you get, what? and I'm sitting in first class looking at my glowing wife. She's like, ooh, 
we just got married? <laughs> and I'm just sitting there. I'm like, oh shit. I'm like, this is, this is not good. This isn't good. Sure enough, go in at 6am the next day. I'm met by my boss, HR. I was part of a 90 person layoff um, due to sales, Q1 sales. Um, and again, even though I wasn't in a sales position, I was kind of last person in and also had probably a very high salary that they could cut. So, you know, was given the severance package to, to step aside, could have probably found another job. And, you know, admittedly, I was applying to other jobs to, to go find, you know, and, and figure out where I was going to be. Um, you know, this is 2019. So this is pre pandemic, uh, you know, and I'm just sitting there like, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I sat there and I was like, okay, Othello group was just started with me and two of my buddies, like who I play hockey with. So, they still like their nine to fives. They still like their cushy jobs. I'm in a situation. I have nothing. I have a severance check. That's going to last me a couple months. Here we go. So let me see if I can make a fellow group out of something and gave myself like 90 days, set these lofty, lofty goals. And the ultimate goal was to be able to buy my business partners out. And if I could do that, then I knew that a fellow group was going to have the legs to be something two weeks before the 90 day point. I had met all those goals and I was in a position where I could buy out my business partners. Luckily for me, um, they were open to it. I bought them out. Obviously it sucks at the time when you're writing big checks to even your friends, you're just like, Oh my God. Um, Cause you're kind of, it's a minor step back for a major comeback. But ultimately I had planned it so well that we made a big jump forward. So we were more than fine and it was off to the races and we've, slowly began hiring full-time employees over the last few months. And this whole thing was started with $20 in an LLC filing. So, I mean, it really, we have no backing, no capital, just a pipeline dream, trust from our partners and we're going. So, you know, ultimately I was pushed into a situation, luckily where I didn't have any choice. Like it was, it was something where I was laid off and it was sink or swim. Could I, should I, would I probably have gone and found another nine to five job marketing job? Yeah, I probably would have found one. You know, it's, I feel confident enough that my background and skill set and my community and my network, I could probably go find somewhere that's going to help me be okay. But at the same time, I was just like, well, let's roll the dice. Let's see how it goes. And ultimately we're, uh, we're still here. We're not taking our foot off the gas yet. So um, we, I'm still privileged enough to be able to talk to guys like you and, you know, do this day in and day out. So, so far, so good. I'm not working, uh, not to say it's a bad job, but I'm not working at the drive through at Starbucks yet. So we're doing okay. Dude, I love that story. That's amazing. Um, it's so, <clears throat> it's interesting when you see that you took the untraditional route of you had a job and then you realized you want to do something else and it was a slow lean in, right? So you're like, I have to have this, you know, money set aside. And then once this starts making more than my other job, I could take that leap for you. It was kind of like you're at the bottom and all you, you could only look up. And so that's just, <clears throat> you have a very similar story from how I started my business in terms of setting a goal. Um, and I can, you know, really, really appreciate that. I can't imagine that with, you know, being newly married and, you know, landing on like probably pit in your stomach, legs turned to jelly type stuff. Like that's insane. Um, what role did the people that you had around you play during that crucial time of, okay, I just got laid off and I want to take this somewhat big risk. I think the one person that will never get enough credit is, is my wife. Um, my new wife at the time, um, 
for those that know me and know my story and background, um, they know like we've, I'm 30, I always forget. I'm 33 going on 34. I, I sometimes add a year and think I'm 34 already. Um, but I'm 33 years old. I, I met my now wife when I was like 26 and I had just moved up here to Connecticut. And within a year and a half, she got diagnosed with breast cancer and, mm. you know, went through super aggressive chemotherapy, um, double mastectomy, like crazy stuff for a girl that was vegan, working out twice a day, doing everything right. Like just literally grace of God got hit with this stuff. She's healthy, happy now. Um, you know, we're, we're great, but we've gone through stuff that most couples don't go through in a lifetime, let alone go through, um, until they're 50, 60, 70, 80 years old. Right. And we've lost parents together. Um, literally we've had them die in our arms. Um, you know, we have gone through some, some heavy, heavy moments. And that's why, like, when we look at this moment of a fellow group and I, and I get the chance to reflect on it, you know, we, it was something, it was, it was kind of just one of those moments. Like we've had those like five to seven to 10 moments in our life where it was like, look, we got no choice, get up or shut up. Like we have to do this. So there wasn't really much of a discussion. It, it was more just like, it was a trust exercise as, as we always do, like within your partner, the same way that I made a decision to her to stand by her, the minute we got that cancer diagnosis, you're not going to leave your partner. You're not going to give them shit like, Hey, you have to go work and, you know, go work at McDonald's or something like get money. Some, like, I think my, we have a very, very strong trust. And that is when I ever, anytime I tell people about my marriage, you know, we get, we get a lot of compliments, which I think is, you know, it's admirable. We appreciate it. But the one thing that I love the most about my marriage is that all, all too often, we're always looking for trust. We're looking for the ultimate trust where if you put both me and her under a lie detector test guns to our head, would we both pass hundred percent? I know we would like, we, we hundred percent know everything about each other. And with, with a lot of couples, they could be married for 20 years, have five kids. They still don't have that, right? Like mm -hmm. they have the intimacy, they have the emotional attachment, they have, you know, the fun, you know, like, Hey, we go out, we party, we drink, you know, but for us, we have the ultimate trust exercise and that loyalty factor. So when that decision came up, it was, uh, you know, it was especially hard on her. I couldn't imagine if I was sitting there and I found out and I was in her position, like I'd be pissed. I'd be like, even if it wasn't my fault, it's, you know, you're marrying into this relationship and you're so excited. You're like, oh yeah, you know, we got good money on both sides. Life's good. We're healthy. And you're like, shit, you know, we just lost, you know, half our income, you know, like, what are we going to do? Like, it's, it's a, it's a kick in the teeth. So, you know, I always give her a lot of credit because it's, it's just a testament to our marriage and our partnership that you don't, you don't always have that. You don't always have that trust. You don't have that camaraderie, you, camaraderie. You don't have, just the people in your life that are not going to question you and they're just going to trust you, enable you and push you. And that's something that she did. Um, obviously my parents, they're, they're great. They're supportive. Um, you know, my dad and my stepmom, my, my mother's no longer here with us, but you know, they're supportive to a degree and extent. Um, my siblings, they're all older. They have kids. They they're supportive. But I think even to this day, it's so funny because we've been doing this four years and we, we have the numbers to prove and show that we're, we're here. Like we're, we're not a cookie cutter agency. Like this isn't a joke. Right. And I still go home for Christmas and, you know, my, 
like one of my siblings would be like, Oh, Hey, how's work? You know, like, Oh, that's cool. You know, like, uh, you know, cool. You're, you're doing your nice little entrepreneurial thing. That's, that's great, Andrew. And I'm like, dude, I probably make three times to shoot you now. Like, what are you talking? Like, it's, it's, you know, you just sit there and laugh a little bit. Like, that's a bad example. I don't have a sibling like that, you know, and I don't ever make those comments, but you do have people in your life that, that just still like kind of raise an eyebrow, like, Oh, is this really like, you know, is this just mommy and daddy supporting you and, you know, pushing you to, you know, your little fun dream. And, never had that. Like, you know, literally we've, we've built this from the ground up and, you know, it's, you have to figure a lot of this stuff out on your own. And, you know, I think that's my proudest thing. Anytime I get an opportunity to have what I call these therapy moments where I get to come on a podcast or get to talk to guys like you, it's, I'm so humbled to be able to reflect on my story and, you know, my journey, because as an entrepreneur, as a father, as a husband, as a man, I don't have time to really reflect. Like, I don't really have a second to stop and be like, ah, today was a good day. Right. Like, you know, you're, I mean, again, I know you guys are a little bit younger, but at the same time, like, I'm sure you get it. Like your life's full throttle, like you're go, go, go. So you're not going to have those moments to reflect if for nothing else, just to be critical. Right. Like, you know, that's usually you're like, Oh man, what could I have done better? I got to get prepared for this. Oh, Sunday scaries. But you know, so anytime I get these moments to sit down and really reflect and think about just the good, the bad, the ugly um, it's, it's humbling because we've done something right to date. Are we going to continue to do it for the next 20 years? Who knows? Right. Like I, I can't answer that question. Can I tell you, I hope, Absolutely. Do I think a fellow group's going to be here in 20, 30 years? I don't know. Like, is it going to be here in 20 months? I don't know. All I know is that as long as I'm here, like my goals, my drive, my strategy is always going to be very much just based on working with and building a team and a community around me, whether that's athletes, whether that's professionals, whether that's family, just to accomplish the common goal of defining success on our own terms making just enough to get by and doing it in a way that it drives more awareness to get people excited and generate authentic emotion and happiness. That's what it is. Like I do not have millions of dollars sitting in my bank account. I don't have hundreds of thousands sitting in my bank account. Like, you know, maybe sure. I strive to be there one day. I'm sure we all do, but at the end of it, it's, you have enough to get by, pay your mortgage, make your wife happy and let her go splurge on Amazon. Like I'm good. Like I'm fine. Like I, I, I don't know. I'm I'm going on a rampage right now, guys. But it's it's same to it. Just that you really should just have enough in in life to just be happy. Like you don't need all the materialistic things. You don't need a new Chevy Tahoe as much as you want one. Like you just gotta find just enough to to make you and your immediate circle happy. And there should always be that give and take in return, no matter what you do. I love that. And before you got in that about happiness, when you brought it up, I was going to ask you uh, what your definition of happiness was, but I think you, you hit on it Uh, with those relationships you talked about in your business. And you mentioned earlier, it's not like you want to, all right, one NASCAR thing will sponsor you, whatever you want it to be a long-term relationship between you and the athlete, whatever they do. How do you get the athlete to, um, to come to, to your brand, your business committed like that? I mean, so it's not forced, right? I think if you look at a lot of the other big agencies, oftentimes they will sign you to multi-year agreements. Like you, they, they will lock you up, take the key, throw it away, right? All of our contracts with our athletes 
even if they are a minimum one year deal um, or multi-year deal, whatever they may be, there's a 30 day termination clause for any of our athletes. Like you can get up and leave whenever you want. Now, what happens when we have seven sponsorship deals in place? Well, of course, then we have to figure out like, what are the back end commissions? Like who manages what, you know, it, then it gets a little messy. Luckily, we've never had to worry about that. You know, again, we've been doing this almost four years and we've had a few athletes come and go, um, but nothing where I sit here and I dwell too much on it because their reason is that they just don't care about building their brand. They don't care about the marketing side. They just want to play their sport. And I can't hate them for that. Or we have one or two athletes that are just too heavily invested into the monetization standpoint of, of building a brand that it becomes just too daunting, too overwhelming. They're just like, Oh man, how can we haven't gotten this deal, this deal, this deal? Like, Oh, like, how do we make more money? I get it. I totally get it. We all need to make money. I, I trust me. Like I'm not sitting here as much as I go on my soapbox and say, Hey, you know, you need to make just enough. It, you still need to be making money across the board for all of your clients. Like that is the name of the game. And, you know, one thing I always, I always tell myself at the end of each day is like, look, our, our clients need to be happy. They, they need, that's why they're here, right? How happiness is defined is up to us to continue to redefine that for them. Mm-hmm. Many of them are going to want to know like, Hey, how much money, what opportunities? Like I had a client call me this morning, 7.00 AM. Hey, like what's in the pipeline? Like, are we talking to this company, this company, this person has eight sponsors right now. She does well. Like she does pretty darn well, like all things considered, but she still wants more. She still wants more. She has like nine businesses and she still wants more. I can't hate her for that. You know, she's business minded. That's fine. But what I do take the time to remind her of is that, hey, it's Cyber Monday. It's coming out of Black Friday. Like a lot of the brands right now, they're not making decisions on Cyber Monday. They're not going to even really be taking a lot of meetings this week, Um, let alone starting in December. A lot of brands and people go on vacation, right? Until they take December off. So it's a very finicky time of the year. So for me, I always try to help. I, I really do educate and lean into education a lot. You know, I'm like, hey, there's no bullshit. I'm not hiding anything from you. Like this is exactly like what I see right now. This is what our team is doing. Like this is the landscape. This is who we're talking to, et cetera. And I want them to always understand that they have a seat at the table. Like we encourage all of our athletes to come learn from us and with us when we go to negotiations, because what they don't realize is that like, it's kind of a triple threat. They're building the trust in us because they can see firsthand the conversations and what's going on. They can see the emails from the brand side, they love having the athlete there because they're like, oh, wow, like they're invested. They care. Like they really want this deal to happen. It's not just their agent or manager working on it. And then on the other side, like we're really able to educate both sides on how this can be a win-win. We're trying to bring them closer to closer, like almost for like an arranged marriage. We're like, guys, like, come on, this is great. This is great. This is great. And it's like, once the hands are held and we get them to the altar, it's like, okay, we're good. Like, you know, we kind mm-hmm. of like back off and let them go. Yeah. So it it's just, it's different for every client, but I think a lot of it is we're just trying to, to help them understand. We're helping them get excited. We're helping them understand that they're in the business of entertainment, both the brands, the properties, the athletes. And we're just making sure that everybody understands at the end of the day, like there's, there's empathy and trust into what we're building here. And if they just want to go look for a quick dollar, we're not their agency. If mm-hmm. they just want to go look for a quick influencer deal, we're not their agency. Uh, but if they want to be here for the long game, 
we're the people that we genuinely hope that we get to see their kids raised or like, I want them to come to my son's first birthday. Like that's the relationship that, you know, you can say to people, but then you have to actually be able to back it up and show them. Like I have Mm -hmm. two of my clients getting married in Tulum in two weeks pissed. I can't be down there pissed, but nonetheless, you know, me and my wife, my son, we got invited, um, still pushing my wife and hoping that we can go to Tulum, but that's probably not going to happen. Um, but it's, you know, it's just how it is. Like, you know, you have to just back it up with genuine authenticity and empathy. End of story. That's the, the vulnerability part of that too, with your clients is probably unmatchable. Um, I want to respect your time here and I have kind of our, our closing question for you. Uh, if you could text yourself your t- past self 10 years into the past, what would you say? And if you could text yourself 10 years into the future, what would you say? 10 years in the past, stop spending all the money that you're making at the bar bartending and put it into a savings account. Like take 20% of that money and just put it into a savings account. I was bartending and working at restaurants for like seven or eight years from like 17 to 25. And Oh my gosh, the amount of money that I would just blow on pizza and beer and other things like it was not good. So 10 years ago, um, save your damn money stallings 10 years into the future. I just hope that you're happy. Like Mm -hmm. I, like, I really just hope that your, your family's healthy, you're happy, you're healthy and you're taking care of yourself. Um, it's oftentimes a do, as I say, not as I do method with me. Um, you know, again, I, I say, I I am the fraternal dad bod, you know, pre dad bod guy. Um, even before I had a kid, I mastered the art of dad bod at 33. Uh, but you know, I'm really trying to dive more into my mental health. I'm trying to dive more into my physical health. Um, and I think a good part of that is like working with athletes. You, you don't want to be like the fat, like, out of shape agent. Right. But you also don't want to be the guy that like, Oh, I'm here to show up my athletes and this, like there's some agents out there. They, they feel like they have to go and work with CrossFitters and do all their workouts with them. I'm like, nah, man, like if I can hang, like I can go on a 10 mile run with my athletes tomorrow. Like that's fine. I can still do that, but you just, you got to find your balance. Like it really is about finding your balance. So for me, I'm really trying to work on that. And I mean, Today's a perfect example. I have, I'm stacked with meetings Monday as we record this, it's cyber Monday, tons of things going on. My slacks popping off phones, popping off wife's downstairs, text me with the kid, like, Oh my God, hurry up with this podcast. And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. Like it's you're, but you're trying to find your balance. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's never going to be perfect. Just breathe. And you know, just, just try, just try your very, very best to find your balance and, and your why and know that it's yours. It's mm-hmm. no one else's, it's yours. And that is okay. Your why is good enough. Mm. I appreciate you, Andrew, and your time. And uh, I want to acknowledge the, the type of person that you are and the energy that you bring to the table. Um, I think so many people, including myself, and I know Gabe too, uh, you added value to, to our day in our life. And uh, yeah, we're going to stay in touch. Gabe, I don't know if you have any closing remarks. No, Andrew, just uh, I'm really grateful that you came on the podcast. Uh, and yeah, like Sam said, keep doing what you're doing. You're inspiring people. Um, it's like super inspiring for me to see people do what you do based on the values that you have of authenticity, vulnerability, and being genuine. So thank you. And I know listeners will love it and, uh, we'll tag you and everything and all that. So, uh, thank you for listening. If you made it this far and Andrew, thank you again. Appreciate it guys. Thanks so much.